0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Amen. Now, uh, it is interesting that a, a final portion of the Sermon on the Mount... The last third of it, which is the conclusive third of this sermon, would would begin in the way it begins. And I think, as I said before, that the the men who divided Scripture into, into chapters and verses did a very good job. If they had to divide the Sermon on the Mount, they divided it at the right place by having chapter five as a single entity because it's talking about righteousness, how we're to live as Christians. Chapter six which talks about reward. Where do we seek our reward? Chapter seven, which is a chapter which focuses on judgment, God's judgments, our judgments, making our judgments in accord with God's judgments. Well, I think it's, it's entirely surprising and yet fitting that a portion of the sermon, a final portion that Jesus spends speaking about judgment would begin with this admonition that says, do not judge so that you will not be judged you may wonder well why on earth is jesus saying do not judge so that you will not be judged when the rest of the chapter is a command to judge and in fact it is i I hope you understand that the remainder of the chapter is is filled with with jesus teaching about the judgment of god the need of us as men and women as members of his body to make our judgments in accord with his, our need to judge people even. Uh, why would God begin it with a warning against judgment? With a strong warning. I actually left verse six in. I'm going to look at verse six, God willing, next week on its own. But I put it into this morning's passage because it does seem, in a sense, so aposit, so, so kind of um, opposed to what Jesus has just said because he says do not judge. And then after these verses where he says don't judge, don't look at the speck in your brother's eyes, take the the log out of your own first. Then he says, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> Very obviously, he's commanding us to judge. We're to know who are the swine and the dogs. We're it's implicit in this that we're supposed to make judgments, and yet he's just said, "Do not judge; that you be not judged." And so, why is it that Jesus? And I'm not going to say any more about this dogs and swine. I just put it there to make it clear that in fact Jesus is not commanding us here never to make any judgments. So why does he start a chapter? It's not a chapter in his speaking; it's a portion of his sermon, a portion, a third point of his sermon. It's all about judging with this admonition not to judge. Well, I think you and I understand it. (laughs) Let let me use an illustration uh, that might help you understand it. I've gone several times in my life to places where there are steep drop-offs with my kids. And uh, I remember a few years ago in Greece going to this gorge that was 3,000 feet across and 3,000 feet deep. And it was vertically 3,000, feet down. It was a steep drop-off. And the beauty of going to those kinds of things in countries like Greece is that when you get there, there's no one there. There's a little old, like 100-year-old, it looks like, rock wall on a ledge where the ledge is, they put it there because the ledge is actually out over. It actually extends beyond you. And so it's, it's not just straight down, but you'd have to go in to hit the bottom from the ledge. And there's a rock wall there, but it's a real casual rock wall. I mean, it's like knee high, maybe thigh high. And, uh, and then 2,900 feet. <laughs> and, uh, and below a river and trees running through the gorge, and it's beautiful. But I get there with... Cheryl and Isaiah and Tessa. And what do I say to the kids when we get out of the car? I say, don't go near the edge. Stay away from the edge. And when they get close to the edge, closer than I'm comfortable with, and uh, actually start walking along a little path that's about a, a foot wide at most that, is, that goes off from the rock wall and we're below the top edge. And so it's, it's a vertical here for about 20 30 or 40 feet, and vertical on the other side for about 3,000 feet. And I say, don't do that. Be careful. Don't go near the edge. Well, you, you would say to me, David, if your goal is to keep your kids away from the edge, why on earth did you drive there? You know, why did you make this one of the days of sightseeing in your trip going to the, the Vikas Gorge? You know, what you've done is taken your kids miles through rocky roads and, and finally walking 10, 20 minutes down kind of a cow path to a place that you know is going to be very close to a 3,000-foot drop. Why did you take them there? If you're going to shout at them, don't go near the edge! I mean, you led them to the edge, and then you say, don't go near the edge. Well, I think you understand. I we went there to get near the edge we're going to get near the edge and yet I'm trying to reinforce the danger of getting near the edge and of approaching the edge in a lack of with a lack of care a lack of caution this is what Jesus is doing here he's saying don't judge and then actually he says look remove the log from your eye before you judge another and so it's clear there that he's saying all right you may judge but make sure that you're not just a hypocrite in the way you judge Jesus is warning us about how we judge he's not saying that we are never to judge there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly just recently came out written by a guy who grew up in in a church with a with a father who was a pastor and who was all involved in things like the gospel coalition for years writing for them but a few years ago announced that he was leaving the gospel coalition and it's come out that he's gay and uh so he's he, and he wrote a, an article a couple of years ago saying, you know, I'm grateful for my evangelical upbringing, but I've, I've passed beyond it. I'm, I'm bigger than that now. And so he wrote this article in the Atlantic Monthly attacking Christians and the church for their response to the, to the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, the first pastor he attacked was John Piper for saying that God does judge peoples through epidemics and calamities. And he says, this is the reason the church is hated, because it's so judgmental. We're so judgmental. We don't understand Jesus who said, thou shalt not judge. You and I understand, I hope, that what John Piper said is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus said, that John the Baptist said, that all the prophets said, it's what the Bible says. And yet that's that's accused of being judgmental. That's not what Jesus is saying here when he says, do not judge. Jesus requires judgment, he warns about judgment, he says lots of things about judgment in this final portion of his sermon. It's all in the context of what comes out at the end, that we're building either on rock or sand, because one day, the choices we've made, the judgments we have made, will be revealed in the great judgment of God. And so, it's all in the, in the context of judgment that these things are said. The need for judgment, the... Uh, uh, the the danger of judging hypocritically the the judgment of God Jesus is going to call us to judge but first he warns us not to judge and what he's doing is surrounding the judging that he is requiring with warnings against the type of judgment that he says don't go near don't go near judging in these ways. There are certain ways that we as his children are not to reject, that we who are saved by this great Savior are not to judge others. Jesus is teaching us about righteous judgment and calling us to righteous judgment rather than unrighteous judgment. He is not condemning all judging. He is not condemning all judgment. He is not for, let me just say it, it's obvious, right? For example, he's not, he's not calling us, uh, I hope you understand, to avoid positive judgments. This guy in the Atlantic was not complaining that the church makes positive judgments at times and says, good job, praise God, you are honoring God. He he has no problem with that, but that's judgment as well. That is judgment. God's judgment on the judgment day is going to be positive and negative. So it's only one type of judging that is attacked and really it's that one type of judging that Jesus is is warning about in these verses let me add God is not condemning Christ as God is not condemning other forms of judgment as well he's not condemning serving on juries he's not condemning service as a civil judge or magistrate God has given the government the power and authority to restrain evil and that requires judging Jesus is not condemning the church for judging sin in its midst. He says to the Pharisees who condemn him for healing on the Sabbath, he says to the Pharisees, this is Jesus, he says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He doesn't say don't judge at all. He's saying you're looking with man's eyes considering things that aren't found in the word of God. And you're not judging with righteous judgment according to the judgment that God teaches in his word. Paul says to the Corinthians, what business is it of ours to judge outsiders? Are we not to judge those inside the church? And when he criticizes the people of Corinth for going to court against each other, for having disputes that they allow to be settled by judges outside the church, he says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? And so the the call of Paul is to allow the church to judge. Don't go outside. We are going to judge, imagine it, the world and angels. Paul says, we're going to judge Therefore, we must judge, but with righteous judgment. What is the judgment that God condemns? I'm going to say three things before moving on to speak a little bit more about our approach to judgment and the way that we can avoid unrighteous judgment. What is the judgment God condemns? Well, first, very often, and this is one component that isn't always there, because you can, you can sin in your judging without this component. But when this component is there, it's almost always unrighteous judgment. That is personal wrath. When you make a judgment and it is reflected in your voice, in, your, in the, the, the anger of your voice, the wrath of your countenance, the, the, the way you appear to be out of control as you make the judgment, well, then you are appropriating what is available only to God, which is wrath at sin because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We are sinners. And so there is a sense in which at times we might with wrath respond to something because we're standing for the honor of God. But so often in our judgments, our wrath has to do with our honor. It's like Moses at Meribah when the people have been complaining about the lack of water. They get to this rock and God hears their complaints and he says to Moses, look, I want you to go and I want you to, to speak to the rock and, and, and tell it to send forth water. Well, Moses goes to the rock and he slams the rock with his staff and he yells at the people. So he doesn't talk to the rock, he hits it. And then he yells at the people and says, you rebels, how long do I have to put up with you? Well, that, for that reason, because of that act, God said, you didn't uphold me as holy, Moses. You didn't uphold me as holy. Instead, you acted as though it was your holiness that was offended. You don't get to enter the promised land. And so when there's personal wrath, almost always the judgment that it, that, that it comes as part of is, is sinful. It's just a truth. Second, divine judgment when god judges and god is the great judge and every judgment that we make on earth is in a sense recognizing that god is the final judge divine judgment when it comes is conclusive Uh, uh, the bible says after this pointed man wants to die and after that the judgment and and so we know that there's one judgment there is no second chance at that judgment. This is why at the end of this chapter, we're going to see Jesus saying, build your house on the rock. Don't build on sand because when the storm comes, there's no retroactive ability to go back and rebuild on the rock. It is God's judgment is conclusive. When God judges, you can't change anymore. The rich man can say, hey, I don't like being here. And Lazarus is in his, his his neighbor, who was a poor man who lived at his gate, is up with Abraham in, in paradise. He says, I don't want to be here. And Abraham says, look, there's, there's a chasm between us and it can't be bridged. It is, it is eternal. This is divine judgment. You can change up until death. Death and then immediately the judgment. You can change up until death and God wants you to change. God is eager for you to change. But once you die, immediately it's judgment. And when God judges, there is no recourse. You can't change it. It is either you are righteous or wicked. It is heaven or hell and nothing more or less for eternity. Until that time... We and our judgments are reflecting what we see and what is apparent now, but we can't judge with certainty. We don't have this ability to make a judgment and say, it stands. And I want to say, it's very often our desire to pronounce something and to move on and say, we're done. It's over. I'm sick of this. Ichabod! You know, I'm I'm finished. And that is never, never the right of the Christian in judgment. We must leave room for God. I'm going to come back to this. We must leave room for God. We cannot write off that family member. We cannot write off that friend. We may need at times to take a pause and to uh, think about things, but in the end, We are told to forgive 70 times, seven times, and and our ability to judge and our need to judge does not take away that requirement that we must forgive and be open to being hurt again. It is arrogant. It is unmerciful. It is wrong to judge this way. Let me add as well one further thing that that can make our judgment wrong, and that's when we, we judge by assuming we know the heart when we don't actually. Now, the Bible often requires us to, to understand the hearts of people. And so it is, it is something that we're going to have to do to, to try and discern the heart. This is always a part of judgment. When you go to court and you take someone there because with a hammer he hit his neighbor and the neighbor died, you have to decide, was this deed done with malice aforethought? Or was it done in innocence, as an accident? And the only way to to make that decision is to try and judge the heart. You you must judge the heart. And very often we're going to have to judge hearts on the basis of external deeds that may not be conclusive in themselves. So the Bible says that um, we're, we're not to put greedy men in office within the church. Paul writes to Timothy, don't put a greedy man in as an elder or deacon. Well, how do you determine whether a man is greedy? There's no action, unlike, you know, um, getting drunk. You're also told not to put drunkards in. Well, it's pretty easy to tell when a man's drunk, right? Uh, It's visible in his body, but greed? That's a decision that we're called to make about a heart. It's reflected in what they value, but it's a judgment that's based on the heart. So I want to say that we are going to have to, at times, assess the heart. But we must remember that we are fallible, that we don't have the perfect knowledge in every judgment we make like this. There there must be an understanding that we could be wrong, that we may misunderstand the heart. So with these three warnings, don't don't think you can actually read the heart. You may have to try and judge what's in the heart, but don't think you're, you're infallible in those judgments. Don't be wrathful. Do not act as though the wrath of God is, is your ability and don't, don't judge in such a way that you think it's over. You must allow room for repentance. You must allow for forgiveness in yourself. So I want to close with several suggestions of things that we need to leave room for in our judgments when we judge if we want to avoid sinning and honor God by them. First, when you judge, when you do this thing, Jesus says, you know, be aware that God will judge. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. He's not talking about judgment on earth, although there is the truth that, that those who judge others with nasty judgments here on earth have the same judgment applied to them by other people. It's not a surprise that a dictator like, uh, like Ceausescu of Romania or the Gaddafi of Libya it's not there's no surprise that these dictators who were who were masters of vengeance and nastiness in their judgments ended up being killed by their people but that's really not what Jesus is saying here the judgment that he warns us about is the judgment of God do not judge lest you be judged leave room in your judgments for fear make your judgments with a certain sense of trembling jesus says that as you judge so you'll be judged we will one day face god in judgment we will face him and jesus says remember that you've been forgiven remember where you came from remember that there is and was a big log in your eye as you're going after other people tremble when you judge tremble if you judge without fear well the warning that Paul gives to the Corinthians applies to you and me when we judge without fear he says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall he's warning about judgment he says you know as you're dealing with sinners don't be so cocksure that you think that you will never fall in fact the one who thinks he won't fall is the one who's most likely to Second, leave room for ignorance. Your ignorance, your incomplete knowledge. You don't know everything. This doesn't mean, again, I'm emphasizing this point that you can't make judgments. You and I have all been around people whose attentions to members of the opposite sex, the jokes they tell, the way they act around the opposite sex makes you feel uncomfortable. And you go, ee, I don't like this. You know, this isn't this isn't healthy. It is it is godly judgment to understand certain things on the basis of actions, and for instance, not to put those people as counselors in the church, or not to put those people as leaders in the youth group. It's just a necessary judgment. But having said this, very often you and I will make dark judgments of people on quite ambiguous evidence. Or actually, not ambiguous evidence, but false evidence because it's evidence that we've supplied out of our irritation or our anger and we're choosing to read something that really isn't evidentiary. It's not true evidence. But we're taking that and we're making it evidence and we're making a judgment because we're just angry we're irritated, we're fed up. We supply the conclusion and then we look for the evidence to support it. That's wicked. Some years ago I was riding my bike in the rain up a hill, it was pouring and it was a road that goes up a hill and then at the top there's a stop sign and a busy road. And one of the things I hate as a bike rider is when someone passes me in the last 20 feet before the stop sign or the stoplight. I think, hey, Dingledorf, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working here. You're not. Let me get up there. Don't force me to stop early. Don't make me apply my brakes before I get to this thing. And this guy, last 10 feet, pouring rain, c- cats and dogs. He pulls in front of me and stops. And then I'm looking, and to the left and to the right, and there's no car coming, and he's not moving. And it is pouring. I was hot. I mean, I thought, what, a, what an unthoughtful, impolite, jerk. I was hot. I was, I was so angry. And it was pouring rain. And then the, the door of the truck opens up and this young guy jumps out and he says, hey man, it's pouring and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, would you like a ride? <laughs> he had stopped. He had seen me. He was wondering whether he should offer me a ride. I thankfully said, yes, please. And he drove me the last two miles home. My judgment was based on the evidence I supplied rather than the character of the guy. We do this, don't we? It's terrible. So often it's what we do. Uh, Leave room as well for mercy. You may be right. You may perceive things accurately. You may be correct. You may be assessing others' character, their besetting sin, and it's honest. But that judgment is unnecessary because it does no good, because it improves nothing, because it guards nothing, because it simply blackens a name or exalts us. So often we we make our judgments to make ourselves look good. At the dinner table, we talk about people. It's not going to accomplish a thing. In fact, what it's going to do is make judgmental children out of our children. But we talk, we make judgments, and it's wicked. It's terrible. We're leading our children into sin. And for no good reason at all, just to vaunt ourselves because we like to think that by making judgments, we are therefore better. That we are inherently, because we've made a judgment, we're better than those we judge. And that's insanity. It's not true. So leave room for mercy in your judgments, be merciful. Don't talk about the weaknesses of others at home around the dinner table. Make it a goal never to talk about weaknesses if there's no point to it. So often the the character of a home is determined at the dinner table by the things the parents say. It's always determined by the things the parents say and do. But so often it's such worthless judgments that sour our children, that keep them from from mercy themselves because you are unmerciful because I am unmerciful so leave room for mercy leave room I would say for authority is there a need for the judgment is someone protected from evil by your making it are you keeping harm from occurring by stating it these are questions we should always ask when we're tempted to declare our judgments now, you understand that when Absalom rebelled against David and said, you know, I wish my father were here to hear your complaints, but, you know, he's not. He's really not here. He he's sort of put a, behind him the things that made him. And uh, here I am. <laughs> Consider me. You know, I, I, I hug you. I kiss you. I'm here. I, I'm, I care. Well, those were accurate judgments, weren't they? There was some truth in what Absalom said, but those judgments were the judgments of a rebel. We must be very, very careful in our judgments of those who are in authority over us that we're not acting as a rebel. More often than not, the judgments we make about authority are the judgments of a rebel. We must be careful. I've heard criticisms of our governor for the things that he's doing and I think you know I like Governor DeWine I don't want to be opposing him and talking him down this man with eight children this man who's fought abortion for 30 years in public life this man who fought (laughs) the legalization of medical marijuana this man who has stood for so many good things and who in his decrees has made it very clear that he respects the church above everything else I'm not going to criticize this man, nor should you. He may be wrong at points, but I praise God for a man who's willing to take a risk and make decisions for us. Finally, leave room for God. Leave room for God when you make a judgment. Leave room for God. In the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 19, We read of the great white throne of God. All right. Ah, chapter 20. John says, towards the end of all the events of Revelation, then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Earth and heaven flee from this throne. It is that awesome. It is that powerful. And no place was found for earth and heaven because God is all in all. Earth and heaven are gone because it's all God. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged. Every one of them according to their deeds. It is—it's a scene of immensity. Uh, we can't fathom it. It's—it's it's indescribable. It is the judgment of God. It is serious. It is final. It is dispositive. It means it is the defining thing. You don't get to define there. God defines. Earth and heaven flee from him. And we stand there under God in front of this throne as he makes his judgments. But what we have to remember as we come to that day is that as the books are opened and as the the character of those who are judged is revealed. God has worked since the dawn of human time to provide a way for sinful man to make it back to him. He is not sitting there as judge in anger and wrath. He is sitting there as a father whose children rebelled against him and a father who made every attempt, gave every, every necessary element for us to make it back into his goodwill so that we go from the books of judgment and death to the book of life. The wise woman of Tekuah said to David about his son Absalom, for surely we die and are like water spilled on the ground which can't be gathered up. Yet God does not take away life but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Jesus says, I didn't come to judge. I have not come to judge. I have come to save. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This God that we worship as a great judge is constantly working to draw men to him so that they don't face judgment. He even sent his son to die so that we wouldn't be judged. Leave room for God. Let God, the character of God, fill you as you approach judgment so that you are not sinning, so that you're filled with hope and driving people and drawing them to Jesus Christ, which is what God is doing right now. If you don't know God, he does not want to judge you. He wishes you to experience his son and to be saved. That's his great desire. And we must judge likewise. It's not our joy to say the world is bad, this and that. It's our sorrow. And our joy is the salvation and the character of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.